Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porter, Dr. Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst, FantasyPoints.com. Today is a bit of a special edition over here on the state side. You can call it the Thanksgiving special. Um, I know that's it's just probably just another Wednesday for you. Uh, the NRL Physio, at NRL Physio on X or Twitter, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Brian Cini, he's a physiotherapist and injury analyst um, for education on injuries in the NRL and all sports. So for our short-sighted, tunnel-visioned American listeners... There is, there are more sports, you know, than just American football. We do have Australian football as my, uh, as my dog is coughing over there. Sheesh. Um, and it, it's rugby, right? So rugby is what you, you, what, what do you call over in Australia? First of all, thanks for coming on. What do you call, you know, a, just American football, right? It's like the redheaded stepchild over there. Yeah, so like I'm actually a big NFL fan myself, so this works out really well. This is like a crossover. I obviously, I mean, time zones help me keep in in touch with the NRL and, and the NRL, which is the National Rugby League. Uh, so similar to you guys, National Football League. Um, the National Rugby League is the game that I grew up loving uh, and something that I've followed, you know, since I was a kid. But I've certainly got into the NFL over the last probably ten years, uh, pretty heavily as well. So yeah, it's a good it's a good crossover. And yeah, obviously on the topic we're going to talk about, it helps to have knowledge of of both sports, which is good. So you are essentially like in parallel. You're an injury analyst. Right? You, I think you've been doing this. When was the first? How long have you been doing this? Yeah, man. So I have been, I think, 2016. I, like, yeah, for your listeners, effectively, I am the you of the National Rugby League or really I would say I'm the only person doing it in the Australian sporting landscape, which is crazy to me. Like, I I mean, I've seen how much time and effort it's taken to grow to where I am today. But just the fact of how many of you guys are in the US landscape, there's just so many these days. Uh, when I first jumped on Twitter, there was only really uh, Dr. Chow, and that was about it, and Stefania probably with the two. Uh, but now it's just, yeah, it's gone crazy, which is awesome. Like, I love it, and I follow pretty much anyone I can get my hands on in that space. But, yeah, I'm pretty much the only guy who exists in Australia. So, look, I mean, that's probably part of my success. But, yeah, I'm happy to, to be kicking it over there down under. Man, I love it. I love uh, getting your take. I love uh, following some of the stuff because there's so much, like you said, there's so much crossover. Um, and if you want to hear more on Brian, make sure you follow at Magic Sponge Pod uh, where they go deep. I was when I was looking at your profile when we were setting this up, I was like, man, how did I not know this existed? I just need to read your bio more often. I'm probably going to dig it in that podcast myself more. So again, Magic Sponge Pod to get more of, of Brian's take. So we've established he has been doing this longer than I have. He's been doing it over in Australia, and he had de- has dealt with a lot of different topics, right? He he knows what the injuries are, the mechanisms, the time that guys are going to miss, the performance impact. One of the things that I wanted to get him on here and talk about, though, is something that the NRL has legislated out of the game, and that is the hip drop tackle. Now, there are a lot of different lenses that you can look at this conversation in. And so, Brian, I wanted to really sort of first set the stage, and I want to separate the two topics or the two lenses you could view this as before we conflate things or the listener can can sort of get confused. There is a difference between the conversation of is the hip drop tackle dirty and is the hip drop tackle safe? I want to keep those conversations separate because I do think that they are two different conversations or sort of two different conversations out of the same topic. So 
we're coming at it as injury analysts, primarily as is it safe? Um, and how, you know, let's start with that. You sent me some really good resources and I'll post them down in, in the show notes, but I do want to know, let's just, if you could describe it as best as you possibly can, what is a hip drop tackle defined by sort of the, the NRL or I guess just the rugby standards? What is considered a hip drop tackle? I know that's a tough topic, so take as much time as you need. No, no, not at all. Look, it is, it's a tackle that certainly even when, and, and to let your listeners know, this isn't something that was brought in in the NRL and in rugby with, uh, you know, little controversy. Like all of the same discussions that I see you guys having online and the, and the, the pushback against, you know, regulating this tackle we we had it we are still having it in the NRL and in NRL fans they they have the same feelings uh we we've had it legislated i think for around 2 or 3 years now and it still gets pushed back there's still you know i i guess some tackles that are missed some tackles that are charged that maybe shouldn't be so it's definitely not a perfect system but I will say that it's something that I got onto relatively early and I like, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I claim it. I, I actually uh, coined the term hip drop tackle. So uh, I think the NRL came out and they said they wanted to call it the hanger, uh, but I'd been calling it hip drop for a while and it just kind of caught on. So the with the hip drop tackle, to, to identify a hip drop tackle, there's three real components and I call them grip, twist and drop. So effectively, the first component is the grip. So initial contact is made and you're looking sort of around that hip slash torso kind of region. So the tackler comes in and makes that contact around there and gets a grip. Then the twist happens where the tackler turns their body to be, it's usually side on to the ball carrier. So usually one of their hips turns out away from the ball carrier. And then the third component, which is obviously the most important component is the drop. And that is where the tackler drops their hips or their buttocks directly onto the lower legs of the ball carrier. Now with this component, there's a few things. So with the drop, it's worse if the tackler loses their feet is what we call it in in rugby league, which is where they lift both feet up off the ground and use that momentum of the body to fall down onto the lower legs. The reason that that is not good and increases the danger of the tackle is once they lift their legs and lose their feet, they lose control of the tackle. And that's what we talk about a lot with a lot of our tackles in rugby league is how much control does the tackler have over the consequences of that tackle? Because once they lose control, and one of the tackles we have is called like a spear tackle, which is where you lift the legs and drop the player onto their head. That has been illegal for a long, long time because you, as soon as you do that, you lose complete control of the tackle and lose complete control of safety over that player. So once players lose their legs and drop down, that, is seen as losing control of the tackle. And so it starts to head more into like a reckless kind of tackle, which is what they don't like. And then the other component is once they drop, is that contact directly to the lower leg? So in other words, they don't hit the ground first with the ground absorbing some of that impact. Uh, if, if it's direct onto the legs, that is also, I guess, a worse version of the tackle. And to put it in perspective, the NRL is pretty 
I guess, stringent on that point. Because if if a tackler performs a hip drop style tackle but hits the ground first, but then continues to go on to collect the feet and cause significant damage, they're still not charged because they've hit the ground first. And and a really good example for your listeners is the um, Andrews tackle the other day. So the the broken fibula to the tight end from the Ravens. Looking at that myself, I don't think that tackler would have been punished under the NRL's strict protocols because the tackler's weight slid along the ground first before he hit the legs. Now, I don't completely agree with that because I think there are some circumstances where that can still be quite dangerous, but that's the line in the sand the the NRL has drawn. So, And then they look at force, so degree of force. So that's hard to tell over video, but yeah, they they look at the, the, the dropping of the weight has to be forceful. And I know that was sort of a lot to absorb for the listeners, but it was extremely good information. The things that I really keyed on um, is the way that you said, you know, loses control of the tackle. You don't want them to lose control of the tackle. So I think that really lends itself to the next sort of conversation that um, or, or, or topic that I wanted to touch on is a big contention online from people or general sports fans, NFL fans. Um, and as you mentioned, even, you know, rugby fans is how do you expect these elite athletes, you know, with other elite athletes coming at them as fast as they can, as hard as they can, trying to get around them, through them, whatever the case may be to react as, you know, as fast as possible, as quickly as possible to this. Is this like an issue over, uh, in the NRL, you know, how do you discuss that? Is this is this something that the the teams or the players have come out and voiced uh, any sort of consternation about, or is this just sort of it is what it is? You have to be as a defender. It just it's just it is what it is, and, and it makes life tougher. Yeah, look, like uh, exactly what you've said there. I think fans get frustrated. We need and and we're often the guys talking about the danger and all that kind of stuff. Like it, we need to be really clear here. This. At taking this tackle out of the game, and this is both rugby league and um, NFL, taking this tackle out of the game absolutely makes it more difficult for defenders. Like that, we're not denying that at all. Because effectively, why and what we came to the conclusion of is this tackle has. I guess, increased in its incidence rate and, and, and sort of how often it happens is it's, it's kind of come in as one of the easiest ways to stop a rampaging ball carrier or a ball carrier who has, who is dominating the contact or winning the contact. This is one of the easiest ways to stop the ball carrier in their tracks and with the growing athleticism and, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, all that kind of stuff, any way you can, stop that contact immediately is going to be really valuable but in terms of like how are they going to have time all that kind of stuff we had exactly the same response from players to begin with they were saying look this is going to be really difficult uh you know how are we going to you know if, if and in in the NRL it's called a try rather than a touchdown. So how if we're on, if they're on their defensive try line, um, how are they going to be expected to stop tries at times? Because players are going to be you know nearly scoring a try and they are going to want to stop them 
immediately in their tracks. And so effectively what it came down to is a overall technique change and something that teams and players had to go away. And it was funny once it kind of got introduced as something that was banned and that was, you know, written off the number of players who have since come out and said in practice and in training, a lot of teams already had rules in place that you were not to perform hip drop style tackles. And this was before they were even called hip drop tackles. So Curious. They, yeah. Curious, huh? <laughs> so, so they said that they had rules that when they were in practice, if someone half broke through the line, you were to stay well away from their legs. You were to not do that. You were to not tackle them and land on their legs because teams knew of the injury risk of those tackles. And that has been that has come from multiple players in multiple teams in the NRL. Is that like since it's been banned, they've actually gone, yeah, well, we actually had that as like a you know an unspoken rule. Like you just let the try in. You let the the break through in in training. And look, you're gonna get roasted by, you know, the defensive coaches being like, you know, you should have won that contact at the start. Like, you know, you should, and, and so you're going to get roasted for it because you miss the tackle, but in practice, they're like, you do not perform that tap, tackle type after you have lost contact. And effectively, I think that's probably an important thing to recognize is that what we found with a lot of these hip drop tackles is that that they were kind of occurring after tacklers had lost contact and had lost that initial impact so the, the the ball carry was often sort of breaking through or making ground and it was the tackler's kind of way of just being like nah stuff you I'm coming back at you and so it, it was kind of like a competitive thing too where they were like okay well if the attacker is in a better position or has won that contact they deserve to not have the only option be like a, a dangerous tackle at the end of the day. So th- they've lost the contact. And so if they're, if truly their only option at the, that point is to make a tackle that is inherently significantly more dangerous to the ball carrier, they've kind of got two options. They've either got to try and make the tackle a different way or they make the tackle in that dangerous way and deal with the consequences. So the penalty you know, all that kind of stuff. So effectively, I think what we've seen in the NRL is a change in tackle technique. In the NRL, a big thing for us is like most tackles are choreographed in that tacklers want to win the tackle. They want to, it's very immediate, it's continuous. So they want to win that tackle, be in a good position to get back onside or get back behind the line of scrimmage uh, to be ready for the next play. So they always want to win those tackles. It's much and... more It's much more technical. I think that's, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that's no, no, such no. a good point to make. It's a very pertinent point to make. Um, it is very different NRL versus NFL. Obviously there are similarities, but you know, in the NFL, you make a tackle, guy goes down, defender goes down, plays over there's no technicality on having to get back to the line so the incentive to make a technically sound tackle is much less in the nfl as, as opposed to the nrl is that what you're saying exactly and like we have so in nrl clubs there are wrestling coaches so we have guys who are in mma you know due like the these kind of 
like uh, fights or what would you call it? Yeah, combat sports. We have combat sport athletes come in and teach our rugby players how to tackle, to dominate that tackle so that they are and wrestle players into good position so that they can get back quickly into the defensive line. And so the only real comparison I've kind of made is like, obviously in the NFL, you want to try and limit the yards, right? So you're making those tackles to try and stop that yard, like stop the yards gained almost immediately. So there is a similarity in that you are trying to achieve something in the tackle in that you don't want that player to get yards after contact, that kind of thing. But yeah, it is definitely a bit more technical. But yeah, I I think the way we've kind of put it, like a, a really obvious tackle in the NRL is something like, a head contact tackle. We're very much like you guys against contact to the head. And so that as they've said, if the if truly the only option for someone to stop a ball carrier is to whack them in the head. If if the position they've put themselves in or the position the attacker has gotten into is that the only way for the defender to stop that play from continuing is to whack them in the head, then you've lost like as the defender you've got to you've got to do one of two things you've either got to lose and be like okay I lost or you've got to whack the guy in the head and you're obviously gonna you know have the consequences for that so this is where the hip drop tackle falls in obviously it's a lot more of a natural footballing play than whacking some guy in the head so this is where the gray area is is where you want to sit on that but it's it's purely just I guess the high degree of danger that we've seen, I think 25 times the risk uh, of significant injury in those tackles. That's um, yeah, that, I guess that's kind of similar to what we found as well. But yeah, it, like I've rambled on and on, but to answer your question, it just comes down to an overall technique change and NRL players have been able to do it quite well. The hip drop tackle still occurs and there are still going to be times where it happens completely innocuously, but that they have been happening less and less since it has come in as a something that has been policed. No. So you mentioned there's a, the risk is 25 times higher for a hip drop tackle. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so to, uh, the risk of injury, and I think this, uh, unfortunately, the NRL doesn't release the the specific stats. So the 25 times actually came from the NFL. They Their head of, um, I think it's safety or play safety or something like that, came out and said uh, that their initial findings had said that hip drop tackles, tackles had a 25 times greater injury risk than other you know straightforward tackles in the NRL it was just said to be significantly higher so they didn't come out with the specific numbers but yeah like uh, you you can see and it's not only that you know say for every 100 hip drop tackles versus 100 you know straightforward tackles and when I say straightforward tackles the, the thing that they focused on a lot in the NRL which for the NFL it might be similar is to tackle through players rather than tackle around players so I think for that Mark Andrews one uh, uh, like a, a pertinent point was he tackled and when he he tackled and twisted he ended up around the other side of Mark Andrews whereas the option in that tackle is to just run straight with that low head shoulder straight into the hips and tackle through him so when you fall down when that player falls down on Mark Andrews his chest is the 
part of his body that falls on Mark Andrews's legs. It's not as he twists, he twists the lower leg, the hips land on it. It just has a much higher risk of injury. And when tackling through, yeah, you probably have a slightly increased risk of missing the tackle or being bumped off the tackle. But that's kind of what we focus on is tackling through the player rather than tackling and twisting around them. That's such, that's really good information. I mean, this is, this has been fantastic, but I do want to get into one more thing here, at least one more thing is what have you seen? How have injury rates been impacted by uh, the, the rule change, the legislation change over in the NRL? And on top of that, if you could, what the follow-up would be, how often are you actually seeing players suspended? Because that's where fan bases will throw their arms up and, and are, you know, clutching their pearls is, well, I don't want my star linebackers, my star your corner you know, being suspended a game, two games, whatever the NFL would decide to land on if this tackle becomes, you know, sort of part of being legislated out of the game. So really, how what have you seen with injury rates and how often are guys actually, you know, suspended or or fined or whatever the case may be? Yeah, so this is the part where the NRL is massively still a work in progress. But what I will say is it's not just hip drop tackles where the NRL has this problem. The the big word that NRL fans and NRL pundits, NRL teams, NRL players are looking for is consistency with not only fines but suspensions. And the NRL, we call it the judiciary process. So the judiciary and the match review committee sit down and make these decisions. The inconsistency in that process is still significant. Um, And that, as I said, that's not just for hip drop tackles. That is for many tackles. That is for high tackles, so head contact, those kind of things. So my answer to your question is the suspensions have definitely... I wouldn't say there's been a heap of them. We've actually adopted in the last couple of seasons more an NFL-style punishment system where if you went back kind of five years, players were very heavily suspended for games with very few fines. Fines were not really a thing. It was all um, mainly like suspensions. So, you know, miss a game, miss two games. Whereas now it's definitely switched to be most first offenders will receive a fine and you will only then be suspended once you've had multiple incidences or multiple infringements within a season. So if you're a repeat offender, you will start to miss games. Whereas if you're, you, you only have, you know, that one incident and then you learn from that, uh, then you then you're going to face a more a fine as opposed to um, as opposed to a suspension. So the suspensions probably haven't been huge. The biggest thing is they they have been inconsistent. We've seen some hip drop tackles that are absolutely horrific, and I think you know just horrible technique, like where the ball carrier wasn't really moving. And I think there was one in the CFL. Um, is that college football league or is that uh, NCAA? Canadian. Sorry, is what you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Canadian yeah, football NCAA. league versus NCAA. No, 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 yeah, NCAA. There was a really horrific hip drop tackle where, and these are the ones in the NRL where the the ball carrier is almost stationary, and there's so many different options when a ball carrier is is mostly stationary to to how to get them to the ground, and that happens in the NRL too. And those kind of tackles where they're stationary and a hip drop tackle occurs. They're the ones that in my eyes and, and in many 
you know, people's eyes are the worst ones. But And we've seen ones like that and they, they cop nothing. And then there's these ones where it's just innocuous. It just kind of happens with the contact and it's like a two, three-game suspension. So we definitely haven't got that side of things right. We're a work in progress there. But as I said, I will say that's not just hip drop tackles. That's across the board. In terms of injury rates, there definitely has been less and less injuries due to hip drop tackles because they're happening less um and players are certainly more wary of them so i do you know like you know they're they're you can see them thinking about it when they get into tackles sometimes to be like okay i won't twist and and do that kind of stuff they just change the way they take players to the ground so in such a high speed sport like the NFL, where look, rugby league is very high speed and very high impact, but probably not to the level NFL is. So it it is absolutely magnified in the NFL, but it can be done, and and it does bring down injury rates, which is you know what they're looking to do by getting rid of this tackle. I think the the best way potentially to sort of put layers to these punishments in the NFL, for example, is I'm thinking right, you you do it once, it's a flag. The committee maybe reviews it. Uh, you either get a fine or maybe it was incidental, whatever, right? I mean, we have that, those types of like, was it incidental? Was it a personal foul? Are they ejected? Was it a, you know, was it targeting? Should they be ejected, right? I think there are layers to these these punishments, if you will, that can be sort of sprinkled in to create, if you want to call it protection from the ultimate issue, which would obviously be guys, you know, defenders being suspended or, or fined for incidental plays that are just unfortunately going to happen. Um, but no, that's that's really good perspective. Um, if you had to sort of summarize this conversation um, in your own words, how, you know, what would what would you say is the best solution for the NFL based on your experience from the NRO? I think I think the biggest thing to say is that there's always pretty much every tackle there's always another way to make that tackle they're very rarely looking at a tackle there is only one way to make it like guys are in situations that 20 30 years ago if they're in the same situation they would probably make tackles in a different way purely because the game is different. The game has changed. The the athleticism of players is different. The way they're put together, the way they run, the way like those, you know, all of those components change over time. And the way we have tackled both in the NRL and the NFL has changed over time. So it is not something that you look at and we haven't seen it in the NRL where all of a sudden, all of these guys are getting dominated. They've just tackled differently. There are some times where they've performed hip drop tackles anyway, because it is really, they kind of get caught up and it's their only option because it just kind of happens. And as you said, it's part of that innocuous side of things. But I think that's the point is there is always another way to make a tackle. It just involves practice. It involves technique change. It involves going away. And that's why in the NRL, something that they did is they didn't make changes sort of mid-season, they were like, well, look, we don't want to force this on people, you know, in the middle of a season where players have learnt to, like, have been tackling a certain way for who knows how long. It might be their entire lives they've been tackling that way. Uh, We want to give them an off-season to go away and work on their technique to refine that. And, And 
with the athletes the way they are these days, they can absolutely refine that technique. There are going to be times where there are innocuous cases, but more often than not, as you said, those innocuous cases are not going to end in significant suspensions because it's an innocuous incident and and we're all going to recognize that. But yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing is is giving players time to implement technique change so defining the hip drop tackle really well giving components of you know losing feet direct contact to the legs all that kind of stuff so that they can sit down and they can see it and they go okay i know what i'm trying to avoid and then they've got a whole off season to be like i'm gonna put some things in place to make sure that i'm you know like where i can i will modify my technique and as i said that like 99 times out of 100 there is a different way to make a tackle it's just is it the simplest way is it the easiest way and more often than not a hip drop tackle is the easiest way but what we're finding is the easiest way results in a high degree of danger this has been incredible this has basically answered all the questions that have been coming at me about this topic and all the sort of conversations that are going on online. Um, thank you again, Brian. We took enough of your time. I really appreciate oh, it. It's man. late over there. It's late on the other side of the world. Um, but again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an opportunity here. Plug whatever you want here just so that the, the listeners can get more information and, and maybe they become rugby fans at this point. Yeah, well, look, like it's probably pretty pertinent because the NRL, so the National Rugby League, is actually having their opening game. So they're opening their season in Las Vegas next year for the first time ever. So a bit like you guys taking games to London, and I think you took some to Germany recently and stuff like that. So this is our first foray. The the NRL is, is actually going to Vegas. So in March, early March, I think it's the first weekend of March next year. So if you want to see what NRL National Rugby League is all about, out and you're in Vegas on the first weekend of March, or even if you're not in Vegas and you want to go, head along. Um, look, I've become a massive fan of the NFL, and I would say that if there are people out there who you know are interested in other sports, if you like the NFL, I pretty much guarantee you you'd like the rugby league, which is the NRL, if you gave it a chance, because they're, they're very similar. There's differences. But yeah, that brutality and the um and the the yeah, it, it's just really a really exciting game. And uh, yeah, if you want if you want coverage on the injuries, yeah, at NRL Physio or check out the Magic Sponge Pod. I talk about uh you know hip drop tackles, but also mechanics behind injuries, all the stuff that you talk about too. So yeah, look, check it out. But yeah, get to Vegas if you can. Absolutely, I, I do have one more question before we go. Hit me, Magic Magic Sponge. So I don't know if this is a thing for you guys, but back in like, I want to say the 70s and 80s, the on-field medical management of injuries was literally a player's injured, a guy would run out and usually it wouldn't be a physio. These days it would be a, you know, a physio or an ATC, what you guys have over there, a physical therapist, uh, athletic trainer, those kind of guys. Back in the 70s and 80s in the NRL, it was a guy with a bucket and a sponge and he would literally just get the sponge and like put it on the knee and they'd take like 30 seconds and he'd be like, are you okay? And more often than not, they'd be like, yep. And so it got termed the magic sponge, like the magic That's sponge hilarious. would come out. Yeah. And it like, it's kind of bad in that it was most known for head injuries because guys would get knocked out. They would bring the sponge out sponge over their heads 
you know, and then be like, oh, yeah, okay, he's good now. Like he's been knocked out, but the sponge, yeah, so it became the magic sponge because it, you know, it just kind of cured all problems. So, yeah, so that's where the magic sponge comes from. That, that's actually quite hilarious. That That is that is very funny. Um, there's a running joke uh, about um, maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't joke about this. There's a certain team that has a certain uh, medical personnel that looks on television like they have a bevy of experience. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, and the running joke is, you know, no wonder this player didn't get better. They were probably using leeches to treat the ACL or something like that. But that's what <laughs> that sort of reminds me of. So yeah. 100%. All right, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on. I really do. This is, I think this is going to be, this is going to do well. This will probably do numbers. This is a, a very good conversation that uh, I wonder if the NFL will address this um, again in the off season. Uh, but once again, make sure you check out magic SpongeBob, magic SpongeBob, magic sponge pod. <laughs> uh, and make sure you follow Brian there at, at NRL physio. We will talk soon. <laughs>